woke up quick at about noon. It was 133 days ago that basketball was played for the very last time for yesterday. Welcome into the Thursday, July 23rd edition of the podcast with Damian Barling here on the Be Heard podcast platform. Thank you so much for tuning in, downloading, subscribing, and for listening. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your day in your sports world. Kings played basketball yesterday. Uh, there was four basketball games beginning, I think, around 11 or 12 o'clock, man. And it was uh, – we'll get to the overall thoughts on the NBA coming up here uh, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, opening day in Major League Baseball. I, you know, four months ago, four and a half months ago, I didn't think that we would be uttering this phrase in 2020, but I, I guess sports are back. Uh, the opening day of baseball is today. I saw an interesting story about – of Fox News using simulated fans for their visual broadcast. It's not going to have anything to do with the the actual presentation in the ballpark, but uh, on the TV, it's going to look like there are fans there. That's beginning with uh, Saturday's broadcast uh, on Fox. But we'll talk about uh, opening day tonight, of course. The Giants are a big part of that. Uh, we had a story on the Blue Jays yesterday. We'll have a follow-up to it. But we will begin with your Sacramento Kings. The Kings are back in action yesterday, and, uh, you know, I don't know what you take away from this game. Um, Kings were down 13 in the first quarter, got within one. Uh, they got they had a chance uh, with about six and a half minutes left to take their first lead. They had, they had the ball on the open floor, and they just they couldn't convert. Uh, Miami came back. And they hit their 13th three of the game, and they went back up four. That was as close as the Kings would get. It felt like old times. <laughs> if, if, and I don't know, and, I, and I've been trying to figure out how to phrase this properly, and I don't, I don't mean to d- diminish what the Kings were doing or what Luke Walton was doing. I don't think Luke was, like, coaching to win the game yesterday. I think he was – certainly he wanted to win. The, the, the strategy was to win, and that's a sound strategy if you're a coach. But what I think he was doing, particularly there in the fourth quarter, he was trying to get guy, guys minutes, as evidenced by Guy being in. Kyle Guy was a, a part of what the Kings were doing in the, in the final few minutes of the game. I don't think he was coaching like, oh, the game's close, we got to go get a win. I think they were, they were in position to take their first lead, as we mentioned, with about six and a half left. It didn't go their way. They went from down one to down four, and then that was kind of it. The Kings just kind of played out the rest of the game. Not that they weren't. Again, I don't want to give off the impression that they weren't trying to win. They certainly were. But you know what I mean when I say Luke Walton wasn't coaching to win the game. He was coaching uh, to give his guys some run. The Kings wound up losing 104 uh, to 98. And I never thought that the game was. I never looked at it like, oh, gosh, you guys haven't played in four months. This looks terrible. It, It looked kind of. You know, people were, you know, it, 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 it looked like a summer league. It looked like an international game. It looked like this and it looked like that. But the difference was, like, if you watch the Clippers game, man, Kawhi Leonard was playing. You know, like, the, the, the stars on the teams were playing. So it felt more meaningful than what a regular preseason game would be. And I never thought, like, the game was gross or sloppy. I'm very curious about what Saturday's game looks like. Not just because of who the Kings' opponent is, but particularly there's a start time for us here in California of 9.30. And I don't care, like, how you shape it. When we see this all of the time, we've, we see this when the Kings... Kings, I think it was this season, they had, a, they had an afternoon game, an early, early afternoon game in New York. 
and it was rough. Like it was slow. It was it was a really brutal like two and a half quarters, I think. And it wasn't just the Kings, it was the Knicks as well. I think they got into a a little bit of a flow at some point in the third quarter and you know took them through the fourth. But I expect Saturday's game to look significantly more sloppy than last night's game did. Uh, there are a lot of good points, I think, uh, to take away from uh, last night's game. Before we dig into those, let's hear from Sacramento Kings head coach Luke Walton and what his overall thoughts are on on the team's first experience in Orlando. Yeah, it, it did for me. I was I was I had some some nerves coming over tonight. Um, I was excited. Uh, I was a little bit anxious as the game was starting. Um, and I'm sure it was a different experience for each player, but I mean, it was it was fun. It was fun to get back out there and and watch guys compete and and play this game that we love. Uh, it, for me, in my experience in the first game back, it, it was it was all of those things. So um, I'm glad that I'm glad that we're back at it. Yeah. And Luke Walton there, and you know, the, a couple of things worth pointing out. I thought Daquan Jeffries was really good yesterday. Uh, I thought he played well, and I thought I thought Harry Giles gave twenty good minutes. Um, Harry Giles led the team in rebounding, and, and I think this is what you know. For those curious, it was Kent Bazemore, Belly, who's got a phenomenal head of hair right now, like Nemanja Bjelica's hair. It is just extraordinary. Uh, Harry Giles, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Corey Joseph. That was the uh, that was the starting lineup. Uh, you know, we got it. We I don't know if I have mentioned this in the last week or so, but hashtag I'm a Yogi guy, uh, and we saw 19 minutes from Yogi Ferrell. Uh, not particularly good from the field, and when I say not particularly good, I actually mean particularly bad. Uh, he just, he couldn't he couldn't make a basket last night, but. Seven assists. I love Yogi Ferrell, and I just I I'll never understand why he doesn't get more run. And it, and it's clearly it's something on the defensive end that doesn't that doesn't resonate with with Luke Walton and that coaching staff. Uh, but I love Yogi Ferrell. I love when he's out there. I love the energy that he brings. Uh, we mentioned Daquan Jeffries. I think I mentioned Daquan Jeffries. He had a he had a solid outing, particularly from the field. Five of six, twelve points for him. Uh, so there are some positives. The probably the biggest positive. That came out of yesterday wasn't necessarily the game. It was the news that came out of Luke Walton's media availability in shoot around or after shoot around in that uh, De'Aaron Fox ramped it up yesterday. There's a, a full on belief that De'Aaron Fox is going to be ready to play. There is uh, optimism that De'Aaron Fox is going to be able to play when the season gets underway for the Sacramento Kings one week from tomorrow night. So that's a huge, you know, because here's, here's kind of the uncomfortable truth with, you know, the situation that the Kings are in. And I, and I don't mean the, this to, to, to diminish Marvin Bagley, but the Kings can win without Marvin Bagley. Uh, we know that because we've seen it, right? They can't win without De'Aaron Fox. And we got good news yesterday in that, okay, De'Aaron might be ready. It looks like De'Aaron's going to be ready for the ramp-up. He had a, a, a pretty heavy non-contact practice yesterday dude that's 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 solid news if you can you know ramp up his individual workouts over the course of the next couple of days and get him a solid run of practice uh, maybe 
maybe the final scrimmage game, you run him a couple of minutes. But if you can, you know, ramp up his practice to where he's doing contact before Friday's game, next Friday's game, man, that's a that's a that's a huge momentum swing for the Kings. So that's good news. We know Bagley's, you know, out for the season. We know that he's not coming back. We understand that. Uh, but now that De'Aaron has the ability to come back, now that now that now that we know that De'Aaron has the possi- uh, possibility to come back, we have to settle in on another uncomfortable truth. While I believe that the Kings can win without Marvin Bagley, I don't believe that they can win without Harrison Barnes. And Harrison Barnes is still here in Sacramento. And this is this is one of the weird like Harrison Barnes, if you you know, you rewind time here and they shut the practice facility down fourth of July weekend, I believe it was July third. That had to be due in, in, you know, a couple of days later, the team is scheduled to leave for Orlando. We learn, you know, later down the road that Harrison Barnes is not on that plane. So that means Harrison Barnes tested positive for the coronavirus at minimum 22 days ago and has failed to pass COVID protocol, I guess, you know, in NFL, we say they didn't pass concussion protocol. Well, I guess, I guess in 2020 NBA, we have to use the term. He didn't pass COVID protocol around the same time. uh, Russell Westbrook tested positive and Russell Westbrook has passed uh, NBA COVID protocol. And not only is he uh, in the bubble with the Houston Rockets, he's practicing. So he's been back long enough to go through the 36-hour quarantine period, and he's back on the court. There's actually an expectation, you know the way Russell Westbrook is, he's probably going to play tonight. He's probably going to play in the Rockets, but despite the fact he's only been on the court a couple of days, he's probably going to play. But still, and, and I guess this is just one of the weird unknowns about the virus. It's still no Harrison Barnes. Uh, and, and I don't know if it's a situation of, I know what protocol is to get to Orlando, and I think it's, it's, it's multiple negative COVID tests in a certain period of, of time. And it appears that Harrison Barnes can't get over that hurdle. And I, and I don't recall, I, 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 recall I, I can't remember if Harrison Barnes said like he was feeling okay. I don't remember him saying anything drastic because I feel like if he did, uh, it would have been covered a, a, a little bit you know, more extensively if he said he wasn't feeling well. But I also don't remember him saying he was asymptomatic either. Uh, I pulled up his tweet in hopes of, of, of reading it ver, verbatim here, and he's retweeted a lot of stuff that I, I got to navigate. Here it is. Prior to the team leaving last week, I tested positive for COVID-19. I've been primarily asymptomatic, and I'm doing well. That was tweeted on July 14th, so a little over a week ago. I'm primarily asymptomatic. I'm doing well. I'm quarantined and abiding by the safety protocol until I'm cleared for action and hope to join my team in Orlando when it's safe to do so. So, again, it was about it was July 4th. So it was about 14th, excuse me, July 14th. So it was about nine days ago. I don't know. That's, con- that's, a, that's a bit concerning, isn't it? I mean, and we're also talking about the, we're also talking about a virus that we still seem to know so little about. 
But that's the that's the uncomfortableness. I saw Jason Jones tweet. Uh, Jason Jones, of course, co-host of J Street Vibes here on the Be Heard podcast platform. I saw him tweet about a, a quote from Buddy Heald and Buddy Heald telling media, and I think it may have been more specifically addressed to fans, uh, to, 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 to leave Marvin Bagley alone and, and you know, don't pick on him and, and, and don't, talk on, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't talk bad about him because he, he got injured. It's not something that he can control. And yeah, I, I was fascinated by that for a couple of reasons. I was fascinated, one, because what media is doing, and, and I know like sometimes we kind of insulate ourselves. Like I talk about the dangers of social media all of the time where we, we kind of insulate ourselves and we're able to tune things out. And I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm connected pretty well with Kings fans. You know, I host the Kings podcast for the hoop ball, uh, you know, the hoop ball podcast platform. And I, I don't hear fans and maybe like I, are we confusing fans for Twitter trolls? Like, are, are we at the point now where players are actually responding to Twitter trolls on press conferences? And not that I, you know, listen to a ton of other media outside our Be Heard podcast platform and, 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 and some of the, you know, different people that I'm, you know, close to here in the market, but I haven't heard, certainly not Jason, certainly not Jason Anderson. I haven't read anybody, you know, trashing Marvin Bagley because he was injured. I, I feel like Buddy was responding to Twitter trolls at a press conference, and I just I found that so weird because when you do that, it amplifies that as if it's the majority. When I don't, I think the majority of Kings fans are frustrated that Bagley's hurt. They're concerned about his long term future. This I don't think there's anything negative about being concerned with Marvin Bagley, but of course, on social media, uh, everybody has an opinion and everybody has the you know the strength of their typing thumbs. And perhaps I'm sure, you know, Marvin Bagley, as Buddy Heel does, sees things that uh, we just, you know, couldn't stomach. You know, they, they, I'm sure they see things in their mentions on a, on a regular basis. Uh, but that type of stuff, I mean, you can't respond to that in a press conference. You just got to turn tune that stuff out. You got to turn the quality filter on your Twitter account and weed out some of the, you know, the, the, the egg avatars who don't have the courage to put their picture and their name up. To, they don't have the courage to sign their name to their statements. You just, you gotta, you gotta put that stuff away. Uh, but it made me th- like, I started scouring when I heard uh, Buddy Heels remarks in the post game, like, wait a minute is I started thinking like, did Jason Anderson trash? Like I'm starting to figure out what media he's talking about. Did, did James Ham go at, go at Marvin Bagley for getting injured? That's not it. it none of that is the case. I think just people are over and, and not saying that fans haven't gone at Bagley. I'm quite certain that they have because as we are all aware, fans suck. Uh, and we are all collectively irrational. We are irrational human beings when we are fans of teams. And I, I kind of do. This is why I hate, you know, it's the love hate thing with Twitter. Someone and, and, and I don't, he wasn't trolling. Like he was having a conversation and it's hard to have conversations on Twitter, but he told me that he thought the Kings would have been 15 games better, or he thought the Kings would have been significantly better had De'Aaron Fox not been hurt 17 games. I thought, man, that is a, that's a bold proclamation given how many losing streaks that the Kings had with De'Aaron in the lineup. And I realized we're at that point. We're at that point in the quote off season, right? Cause it felt like an off season of four and a half months without basketball where we forget 
how bad the team played. Like, we forget those streaks of five and eight and six. We forget those. And we romanticize it and say, okay, they were playing really well before the break, so that must mean they're a really good team. Maybe not that they were on a run. Now, are they defined by the seven and three streak? Or are they defined by the streaks of, you know, eight losses in a row? It, it doesn't even matter at this point because it's a it's a whole new ball game. But I was trying to get into a conversation with that person. And it just dawned on me like, oh, we've hit that part where we forget. We've hit we've been away from basketball enough where we forget most evidence was pointing to the team being, you know, kind of in that frustrating state the team going on. I think uh, the pace of like 36 or 37 wins, which was below last year's total of 39. And then, you know, starting to try to build towards optimism of next year and. I think people always have those types of opinions, as, as you should. That's, that's, that's the great part about sports. It is being able to have conversations, debates, dialogues. My opinion is this. Your opinion is that. I, just, I guess I just don't surround myself on, on social media or certainly in real life uh, with fans who trash Marvin Bagley for being injured. I mean, I don't think I surround myself with with fans of any sport in, in real life or on social media where people trash a player in any sport who gets injured. Like, I don't know how you could go. I, the overwhelming sentiment in the people that I follow and the people that I talk to for Marvin Bagley is concern. You know, you, you, you know there, there are people who hang on to Luca. I'm always going to – I believe Marvin Bagley. And if, if you have – you know, text or tweeted in, in recent days. And I think we talked about this uh, when Bagley went down with the injury. I'm still very much of the belief Marvin Bagley is going to be a, 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 a very solid NBA player. I don't believe he's ever going to be better than Luka Doncic. That ship has sailed. Like it's, you, if you're going to die on that hill, uh, you're, you're going to die quickly because that's just not going to change. Luka Doncic will almost certainly always be better than Marvin Bagley. That doesn't mean Marvin Bagley's not going to wind up being a very good ball player. And we've seen, to me, we've seen enough from Marvin Bagley to know, all right, this dude can go. Like, he is an exceptionally talented human being. He's just got to stay healthy. And whether it's a, a combination of unfortunate accidents, if it's a combination of of freak accidents, or there's something more underlying the process. And that is for a kinesiology expert to understand and not me. That's, that's the concern. Because I think Marvin Bagley has all the talent in the world. And I think the Kings are lucky to have him. You just have to hope in a draft where you believe that there is just talent all over the place from DeAndre Ayton to Luka Doncic to De'Aaron Fox to Trey, or not De'Aaron Fox, to um, uh, Jaron Jackson, to, to Trey Young. You just believe that there's, there's just talent all over the place that you want Marvin Bagley to be a part of that, that talented group as well. And from a pure talent perspective, I think that he is. It's just, you know, talent is only part of the equation. Staying healthy, staying on the floor is another part entirely. Like there's, there's the argument over, you know, Kevin Durant once said this, and I've always 100% agreed with it. Greg Oden wasn't a bust. A bust is someone who can't play. Like Michael Olegandy was a bust. Greg Oden wasn't. 
Greg Oden couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay on the floor. I still have to believe Greg Oden would have been an incredibly talented NBA player. His body just wasn't equipped for the NBA game for whatever reason. And with Marvin Bagley, that's all that you can hope is not the case. You don't want his body to not be equipped for the NBA game. And, and he's not suffering the type of injuries that should lead you to believe that. The thumb, that's not an injury. I'm concerned about the back-to-back foot injuries, and I'm concerned that I don't know how many sports fan bases spend as much time talking about a training staff as the Sacramento Kings do, Sacramento Kings fans do with theirs. But I am concerned about way messages are being relayed about Marvin Bagley. Jason Jones once used the term that the Kings staff did not protect Marvin Bagley, and I 100% believe that is completely accurate. Um, I, 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 I don't think we were given enough information as to what was going on with Marvin Bagley, and that's where the he's soft conversation started to develop. And I think that's that's an insane line of thinking, but I can also understand well, we're not exactly getting a quality amount of information. I'm sure a lot of you, and if you don't, you should follow Pete Youngman on Twitter, the longtime Kings trainer. He talked a lot about that last year, about how sometimes you put information out there in an effort to protect the player. You create a longer time frame uh, than may actually be needed because you want to protect that player. You want to protect the player from exactly what Buddy Heald pointed out is going on with Marvin Bagley right now. Uh, but overall, man, it was just fantastic. It, it was almost a surreal experience. You know, the podcast ended. I had a number of Zoom calls about some Be Heard-related topics that, that Deuce Mo and I, I think, are going to be really excited to uh, bring to you here in the upcoming weeks and months uh, of this new platform that we've got going. Uh, but it was it was great to kind of walk away, go turn on the Clippers game, and you know, see Kawhi Leonard out there. I flipped over and I saw the, I saw a little bit of the lineup. Everybody was tweeting about the, the massive lineup uh, that Mike Malone put out there. Uh, we saw Skinny Jokic uh, in action for the first time. The only game there were four games yesterday. The only one that I really didn't, I really didn't see anything of was the, I didn't see any of the Pelicans Brooklyn Nets game. Uh, that's the only one where I, could, I I didn't watch a single moment of that game. And the first time that I kind of peeked in on it, the like it was a 30-point game. And, and I don't mean to laugh. I mean, Brooklyn is in just a terrible position. And I I genuinely feel, feel bad for the guys, you know, on the floor there. Uh, but they're there. They're in a playoff position. They're going to play in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, but they just had it handed to them by the Zion Williamson-less uh, New Orleans Pelicans. According to the Pelicans, Zion continues to take his... He continues to go through COVID-19 protocol. He's taking daily tests, which is really important uh, for his return. And if you recall, uh, it was the final seven days of however long he's going to be gone that he has to take tests. He has to take a death. So if he's gone 10 days... He has to start taking daily tests in the final seven. From what it sounds like from a report from Shams Karania yesterday is that he is taking uh, he has taken a test uh, every day that he's been gone, which means his return is probably imminent. Uh, the Pelicans have been adamant. There is no timetable set for his return, 
but they believe uh, the intention that that his intention is they he'll be back in time to play in the Pelicans opening game uh, one week from today. So there's a little update on uh, on Zion Williamson. We saw uh, Skinny Jokic for the first time yesterday. Uh, he played 26 minutes, 16 points. That big lineup got everybody's attention uh, with Jokic, Bull Bull, Pau Gasol, Mason Plumlee. Uh, Bull Bull had a bull. Well, Bull Bull was the talk of the NBA Twitter world yesterday. Uh, his 32 minutes, 16 points, 10 rebounds. I think there was. I think there's a stat behind that. He let's see. Bull is the only rookie in 20 years to register at least 15 points, 10 rebounds, and five blocks in a preseason. That is according to ESPN stats and info. His exact totals were 16 points. 10 rebounds, and six blocks. Uh, five turnovers uh, for the big fella. I think I mentioned, if I didn't, my apologies, 16 points for Nikola Jokic, but uh, Mike Malone's squad looked good once again uh, out there. Overall, in terms of just kind of general thoughts on the NBA, I thought the presentation was fantastic. It was a little bit different, and Luke Walton talked about the uh, – Luke Walton talked about Get, get, kind of getting used to the silence, you know, the, the, the quietness of, of the arena and how to, you know, communicate with your team and how your team has to communicate with each other. I think it's going to be a fine line. I, I, well, I think offensively and defensively is, is the difference. Um, defensively, we want to talk. We want to be loud uh, with all of that. Offensively, you know, I think you look at vet point guards around the league, guys like Chris Paul, and I think – with some of those habits they've built where they kind of just, you know, when they know what play they're, they're running, they, they walk up to each teammate and kind of whisper in their ear. I think little things like that are going to be really valuable here because, you know, any, any bit of noise you can definitely hear. Uh, so offensively, you're going to want to be more on the quiet side. Defensively, you're going to want to be loud and, and calling out coverages and calling out the other team's play if you can hear it. And Mike Malone, or excuse me, uh, Luke Walton, there talking about the talking about the atmosphere. And I, you know, from a from a fan perspective, obviously I can't can't speak from a player or a coach perspective, but from just a fan perspective, I thought the entire setup was fantastic. I thought the video wall was an extraordinary idea that actually added a lot to the game. I didn't really care when they did the you know like the fans cheering. Which I mean, not not like turning my nose up at it. It was it was neat, but I thought just having the wall there with the different graphics and you know the different logos, uh, and, and not just that, but there were significantly more people there. You know the the socially distanced bench, which you can argue like what is the purpose of that? But regardless, the socially distanced benched plus the the like the the game ops people it created an environment along with that video wall where it actually looked like there were a lot of people there or, or let me rephrase that. It, it looked like there were a lot more people there than I imagined there would be. Uh, and then, you know, you would see a handful of like ball boys and ball girls and, you know, different assistants and things like that on the side, just as a very small handful of them. Uh, one thing that was noticeable uh, as I was putting together today's show graphic was and I, and I noticed this watching the game. I don't know how many photographers are there. 
Like, are they, like, who, and I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure if you search, you know, NBA.com, you can find, like, pictures. And this will, obviously, this will change, uh, particularly, I think, after the seeding games end. I think we'll probably, you know, maybe see more photographers in place. And as the, you know, playoffs uh, go along, maybe we'll see more photographers in place. But it was just really jarring to not, one, not be able to find, like, actual pictures from the game. And, and, and I think it, it, was, it was another thing to see the the sidelines and the baseline so empty and you know so much space you saw the you saw it particularly in the Kings game and I know I saw it twice with the Wizards as well their spacing on the floor was thrown off because the benches are further back than they're used to and so when they set up on the floor there was uh you know the foot out of bounds play on the sideline, at, at least in, in just the two games that I spent this most significant amount of time watching, at least four times. And I think it happened twice in a short period of time, or, or three times in, in a short period of time in the Kings uh, in the Kings Heat game. That's another thing. I know we're, you know, we're Sacramento-based, uh, but we're all NBA fans. We're all NBA junkies. Miami's good. Dude, Eric Spolstra is such a great freaking coach. I, you know, Miami's one of those teams where if you told me like right now that the Miami Heat were going to be in the Eastern Conference Championship, I'd believe you. I'd be like, yeah, like, okay, I, I, I see it. I, I get, there's very little in the Eastern Conference that can surprise me. Um, I mean, once you get, you know, you get into like the Orlandos and then and, and the Brooklyns, but you know, still like once you weed out Orlando and Brooklyn, Philadelphia is the sixth. You you going to be shocked that Philadelphia is in the conference championship? I don't know. Would you would you be terribly surprised if Indiana's in the conference championship? You shouldn't be. And this is the same with Miami. Miami is just man. I I don't know. I don't know why it was glaring yesterday. Maybe it's because of all the damn threes that they hit to start the game. It was just like, I think the first 18 field goals were three. That feels high. But I, I, the first, I, I'm, it was just three after three after three, particularly from Miami. Really in that first half, really in the first quarter, they were just jacking them and they were falling. Um, and still, with all of that, Eric Spolster's focus is usually on the defensive end. And I just think... <laughs> I think about Spo, man, and I always, I always go back to, you know, the t- two moments from the heels. One, where you know, of course the you know the shoulder bump with LeBron, like you can't, you can never forget that. And then two, the the Le- the the remark that LeBron made. Now this wasn't a, a public remark; it was m- made public later. But the the remark that LeBron made to Pat Riley after the big three met with Rouse and, you know, like LeBron said something like, you ever get the itch to go back to the sideline? It's like, man, Spolstra survived all of that. And I think the overwhelming belief was that Spolstra wasn't going to survive that. And I guess, you know, some some credit probably should go to Pat Riley as well for uh, letting that ride out and letting them get through those those rough moments there to start, you know, the kind of the big three era there in in Miami. And he, he point is, I'm rambling on about the Miami Heat. He's a phenomenal coach. They are a phenomenal team. And, you know, one of six teams that I would not be shocked if they are in the 
Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, other than that, I mean, the, the masks obviously done out of extra caution. It, it'll be weird. Hopefully, hopefully this is, I know we keep using the term new normal. I really hope this is very much not the new normal. Uh, I'm hoping in, you know, two years when we look back on the film from this bubble in Orlando, we think, man, uh, gosh, we, remember when we had to wear those masks or, you know, you saw all the coaches and they're all around each other on a regular basis and they do wear masks a lot uh, in Orlando. And what the NBA is doing is it's working so far. Uh, I'm sure they're holding their breath a little bit with this first round of of test after games are played. But if you're, my feeling is if you're starting games with zero positive COVID tests, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, you know, again, it's 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 only a metaphorical bubble because you know staff can come and go and. The concern, that's where the concern is, is them bringing the virus into the bubble. Well, from what I understand, the people that I've talked to who have been in the bubble, is your interaction with the hotel staff. Like, we all, we've all been to hotels, and we know what our interactions are with staff. We know uh, housekeeping and uh, can't go back to my room because the housekeeper's in there. We know all of that stuff. That's not this. This isn't like a regular hotel experience. This isn't like you're checking in, you know, to the to the embassy suites, you know, and you're 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 hanging out, you know, on on vacation for a few days. This is an entirely different type of hotel experience. And from the way that it was explained to me is that your interaction with hotel staff is extremely limited. You can go a significant period of time without crossing paths with hotel staff. So the setup is is very very different, and it, and it the, you know the the NBA is in a you know right now they're in a great position to succeed, but I'm guessing they're holding their breath a little bit uh, as they prepare for this first round of COVID testing following the start of these scrimmage games being played. Uh, if you want more content from me, if you just can't get enough of me, is what I'm saying. Make sure you head over to Patreon.com slash Damian Barling and check out our Be Conscious podcast. We have a number of tiers, including one uh, that just shows your support here for the podcast platform as well as the Be Heard uh, podcast platform. I should say it shows your support here for the podcast as well as the Be Heard podcast platform. And, of course, we've got extras there, including uh, the Be Conscious podcast and the weekly wrestling podcast. Uh, some of you may have noticed a new episode of Relive did not drop this week. Uh, that episode is in development right now to be the final episode of season number one uh, as we're going to start laying out season number two over the course of the next couple of weeks as well so head over to patreon.com slash Damian Barling and make sure you check out the rest of the podcast here on the Be Heard podcast platform including the Deuce and Mo podcast the dope ones and J Street Vibes. Let's get into baseball news. Baseball gets underway tonight. It is opening night in Major League Baseball, and one of the teams uh, who are heavy favorites for a World Series championship. Not only are they heavy favorites for a World Series championship, they are massive favorites for the National League West. That, of course, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They acquired Mookie Betts from the Boston Red Sox way back in February. Uh, and they are not going to have to wait to the offseason to lock him up to a contract extension. If you count this year that begins tonight, 
He's got 13 years coming his way with the Los Angeles Dodgers to the tune of $392 million. He's due 27 this season and a 12-year extension of $365 million. The 392 total is the second largest contract in Major League Baseball history, trailing only the massive deal that Mike Trout signed with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Orange County, uh, Southern California for uh, 426.5. Some records uh, the deal did set, however, includes the largest total amount of money in an extension. Remember, a lot of Mike Trout's contract included current money that he already has. The extension for Mookie Betts was $365 million. He also signed the largest signing bonus in Major League Baseball history, that is $65 million. A player that we'll be talking about here uh, in just a moment, Garrett Cole. He tops the list of the highest annual average salary. As a matter of fact, Mookie Betts' average salary, like think about this, doesn't even crack the top four. Top four are Garrett Cole, who we just mentioned. He's due $36 million per year. Mike Trout, $35.5 million. Anthony Rendon, $35 million. Steven Strasburg. 35 million. The average annual contract over the 13 years for Mookie Betts is $30.2 million. I hope he can survive. I hope he can feed his kids, to quote Latrell Sprewell. But all of this uh, is just based off can Mookie Betts be the guy who gets the Dodgers over the divisional championship hump? They win divisional championships. Simple as that. They've won seven straight division titles. That's the third longest streak. Uh, since divisions came into existence back in 1969. Uh, However, they haven't won a World Series since 1988. Now, of course, we can have some conversations about the most recent World Series that they lost. Uh, But the fact is, they haven't experienced winning a World Series uh, since 1988. And the hope is, with this incredibly talented lineup that they have and the addition of of Mookie Betts, that this is the year uh, that they are able to do that. And it will get underway tonight when the Dodgers take on your San Francisco Giants after 266 days without baseball. Today, we'll snap that streak. The last game that was played was the last game of the World Series on October 30th, 2019. This is the longest streak without baseball in Major League Baseball history, surpassing the 256-day stretch during the 1994-95 strike. As far as the Dodgers and the Giants, this is the 33rd time uh, they will meet on opening day. Uh, The Giants and the Dodgers have split the previous 32 meetings, but the Giants have outscored the Dodgers 154 to 118 in those opening games. Of course, as we mentioned, the Dodgers are heavy favorites uh, to make it eight straight division titles. However, in a 60-game season, that may not be the most likely outcome for them. The Dodgers have only been in first place through 60 games in two of the last seven seasons. Now, remember, in the last Seven seasons, they've won the divisional championship. But through 60 games, they've only been in first place twice. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, of course, he will be on the mound tonight for his ninth career 
opening day start. The Dodgers won the first seven opening day games that Kershaw started before losing 1-0 in 2018 to your San Francisco Giants. Uh, Kershaw has, well, he has dominated the Giants over his career with an ERA of 1.74. Nobody in the live ball era since 1920 has a better ERA against a single team than Clayton Kershaw does against the San Francisco Giants. Of course, uh, the Dodgers' major favorites for the division this year because they won 106 games. They added arguably the best player in Major League Baseball, certainly one of the best players in Major League Baseball to that 106-game win total from last year. The Giants, on the other hand, they won 77 games last year. They are a 50-1 to long shot. It's their longest division odds entering the season uh, in about 12 years. Uh, this will be the first time that neither Madison Bumgarner or Buster Posey will be a part of the Giants' opening day roster since 2010. Uh, Buster Posey came up in late May of that season, Bumgarner in June. Uh, the Giants used 64 players last season. That's the most in National League history and tied for the second most uh, by any team. Uh, Johnny Cueto is going to get the start for the San Francisco Giants tonight. He's making his fifth career opening day start and his first since 2015 when he was with the Reds. Uh, I, f- I found this stat and I find it incredibly interesting and it's, I don't know that it's interesting as much as it's funny. I don't know if it's funny as much as it's interesting, but it caught my attention. Every year since Barry Bonds is retired, the San Francisco Giants have opened the season with a different left fielder. They have never had the same left fielder on opening day for consecutive years since Barry Bonds is retired. The first left fielder to start after Barry Bonds retired, the left fielder that started this streak of 13 straight years of changing left fielders is the guy who's the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts. Of course, that's the second game of the doubleheader. The Nationals will receive their World Series rings I mean, I guess. Maybe they will. I don't know. Dr. Fauci's throwing out the first pitch uh, as the Nationals open up the season against the New York Yankees. Tonight, Garrett Cole will make his long-awaited debut for the New York Yankees. Of course, he signed a nine-year, $324 million contract way back in December, making him the highest-paid baseball player in Major League, uh, making him the highest-paid pitcher in Major League Baseball history. Garrett Cole struck out 39.9% of the batters he faced in 2009. That is phenomenal. It's the highest strikeout rate uh, in a season in Major League Baseball history. A follow-up to a story yesterday. We thought that the Toronto Blue Jays were going to be playing baseball in Philadelphia. The Toronto Blue Jays will not be playing or I, I shouldn't say it was actually supposed to be Pittsburgh. What I meant to say is playing baseball in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it, they're not going to be playing in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, or Pennsylvania. They're not going to be playing anywhere near that state. Uh, Pennsylvania has said, no, nah, man, we're good. Uh, Toronto wanted to play at PNC Park. The schedules matched up. It worked. Uh, but health officials said, uh, no. Uh, the Blue Jays, they just, they just can't find a home. Canada said, nope, can't do it here. Uh, Pennsylvania said, nope, can't do it here either. So, I, I don't know what's going to happen now. 
Uh, one option is uh, going to the city of each scheduled opponent and playing as the home team. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know how much. I mean, I mean, outside of I, it, it matters in the sense. I, you know, this. I think home field matters in baseball because fields are different. There's no. It's not like you know, in in football. You know, football will be a unique experience this year because, uh, in, you know, teams will obviously be traveling. But in football, every field is a hundred yards. That doesn't that doesn't deviate. Uh, sounds are different. Uh, you know, arenas are different. Your comforts in you know hotels versus being at home. That's all different. But the field that you play on is a hundred yards. Simple as that. The goalposts are the same distance. Everything is the same. It is universal. That's not the case in baseball. So I think if there's one sport like playing in the bubble, like it, it, it doesn't matter for the NBA. It doesn't matter for the WNBA. Basketball courts are the same. They're 90 feet long. It's, it's all the same. Basketball hoops are the same height. Doesn't matter. You can dress it up and make it look like, you know, like they did yesterday with, you know, video game sound playing and heat fans in the background and heat logos and all of that stuff. Like you could do that. Like that's fine. I don't think it's going to, it's not going to matter to anybody. I think true home court uh, and home field in terms of football come into play when you talk about, you know, the amenities of being at home, the amenities of sleeping in your bed and doing such things like that. Whereas baseball, the field is actually different. So having, you know, of course you're in a situation now where there's, there's not much you can do. Toronto cannot play in Canada. They cannot play on their home field. That's the end of the story. So they're going to be at a significant disadvantage. They're playing, no matter how you shape it, they're playing 60 road games. There's like You could dress it up and say, okay, okay, we found a park for them, and it's in Omaha, Nebraska. All right, cool. They're playing in Omaha, Nebraska. That's not where they're used to playing. That's not their home field. In fields in baseball, there is no, you know, obviously the mound and 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 the uh, the length between bases, like that stuff is the same. But you know, this left field is shorter, this right field is longer. The, the center field in this ballpark is deep. The wind carries different in Chicago than it does in Pittsburgh. You know, this is different than that. Home field in baseball is a bigger deal than I think in any than any other sport. And the Blue Jays now are in a situation where they can't even find a fake home. They are going to be, they, they were all, it, you know, the second Toronto said, or the second Canada said, you can't play here, they were going to be playing 60 road games. But now they are really going to be playing 60 road games, and it's silly. It reminds me of, was it this? I, it was the Saints, because it, it, it had something to do with Katrina. And I don't remember who the Saints were playing. But it was the Saints' first game. They were obviously not in the Superdome, and it was it was like it was it was their home game, and everybody cheered them and welcomed them, and like, hey, we're all Saints fans today. And then the game started, and then you know everything kind of reverts back to reverts back to normal. Like it's not a home game, no matter how you frame it. It's not a home game, and you certainly can't reframe what a home field is in baseball when there's no universal size to the field. So it'll be interesting to see what they do because they're running out of time to get it fixed. Baseball starts tonight. We've got two baseball games tonight. We went months and months and months and months 
uh, without sports. But here we are. We're back. We've got Kings basketball. We've got more basketball games tonight. We had four last night. We've got uh, Milwaukee will be in action today. We've got Milwaukee and San Antonio. We've got Portland and Indiana. We've got the Lakers and the uh, Mavericks coming up today. And we've got the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. All of that. Uh, coming up today, in addition to the start of the Major League Baseball season uh, with the Dodgers and the Giants and the Yankees and the Nationals, the WNBA gets underway this weekend. Uh, it's, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to pull back from being excited, but I, there, there's this cautious optimism right now. Like, I, I, I think what the NBA is doing, I think that it's working. So we've that's 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 good. What the NBA is doing is working. Perfect. Let's move along. What's next? We've got Major League Baseball. Well, Major League Baseball is operating under an entirely different type of like parameter, right? Like like they're traveling, uh, they're going from state to state. They're doing a number of different things. They're not doing uh, what the NBA is doing. The NBA is just trying to get their season over with. The Major League Baseball, they're just trying to get their se- uh, season started. Same with the NFL. Uh, Chris Mortensen uh, reported just a few moments ago that negotiations between the NFL Players Association and the NFL will continue today. Uh, There are several key issues past the preseason games, which we talked about, past the daily testing, and the daily testing is actually only for a certain period of time. I think that's only for the first couple of weeks of training camp. Uh, But several key issues that need to be ironed out between the two sides uh, before training camp can get started less than a week from today. I think actually just five days from today are how to manage revenue shortfall, which we talked about yesterday in the potential expansion of the 17-game season that we know is inevitable for next year to potentially an eight-game season, something that the players turn down in contract negotiations or, excuse me, collective bargaining agreement negotiations uh, back in March, but may be willing to accept as a way of limiting the income shortfall, the financial revenue shortfall that's going to happen this year because there are going to be no fans allowed in attendance. I would hope, I know what I'm about to say, you can roll your eyes at, but I would hope uh, the people who are leading this country and are in charge of this vaccination, I would hope by the time we get to next July and we're talking about a potential start to the NFL season, uh, that the vaccination is in full force and life has returned to somewhat of a normal form. Uh, There's another big issue that we haven't spent a ton of time uh, talking about, and it's the opt-out clause. Uh, Players want the ability to be able to opt out of the season because of, well, because of fears of, of the the coronavirus. And there, and I don't know how much of a, I don't know how much of, of, of it is, is, is a financial like I want my full contract if I opt out or how much of it is I want, uh, you know, a year accrued of service, uh, no fines, obviously, and keep my benefits. Um, maybe they'll fight for, you know, financial, a certain financial payoff for players who opt out. Maybe it'll be a universal payout. I'm not really sure, uh, but this is something that the NFLPA and the NFL, you know, they took two major steps this week. The zero preseason games, the biggest step was obviously the daily testing. Uh, But the opt-out clause seems to be a sticking point because I'm going to guess there are some players who aren't going to want to be a part of this um, and, you know, how the NFL chooses to deal with that. We'll see. 
uh, all of this at the same time that uh, reporters out of Tampa Bay are saying that Tom Brady is reported to the drug bucks training facility. He's ready to go. He's ready to get the season started. So, you know, basketball, even though they're scrimmage games, it's here. Baseball begins tonight. You mentioned the WNBA gets underway this weekend. By the time we come back from the weekend, it'll be time for NFL training camp to start. Uh, that one uh, remains to be seen. And it's just maddening to think you had all this time. You had all this time. All you had to do, what, what is baseball? What, what is baseball doing? What is, what is basketball doing? Like, what, what are they doing? Like, how can we make this easier on their players? But the NFL, you know, they're, you know, the way that those owners conduct themselves, they kind of see themselves on a different level. And here we are, just a handful of days. It feels like the, it feels like the NFL is constantly cramming for a test. They're constantly cramming for a test that they knew had been coming for months. We'll see what the results of this are, but they're, 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 they're going to have to be in constant contact with each other over the course of the next several days in hopes of ironing, ironing this all out. Appreciate you so much uh, for tuning in today. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. Uh, so happy that we were able to actually talk about basketball. It felt like this day would never come, and it still feels like the start of the season is forever away, like the real start of the season. And it fe- I didn't feel like we were watching a game that didn't matter yesterday. But deep down, you know, when Kyle Guy, with all due respect to Kyle Guy, like when he's in in the final two minutes, it's like, oh, okay. All right, this isn't quite... This isn't this isn't playoff atmosphere. Um, it's going to be really I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. There are going to be games, I think, when the regular season starts or the, the seeding game starts. I don't, I don't know how you refer to this when the seeding games start, you know, one week from today. I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are, I think the six teams honestly are going to be more exciting to watch than some of the other ones. Uh, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how teams like the Lakers and, and the Bucks and the Clippers and, and those top-tier teams, how they kind of navigate. Uh, the, 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 the Raptors are still trying to hold on to the two-seed. I, I don't know what you get out of being the two-seed or the three-seed versus the eight-seed or the seven-seed. I don't know what you get out of it, but I'm sure you get something out of it. So it, it, it's, it, I, I think there are going to be games one week from today that are going to be significantly more interesting to watch than others, and I think it's going to be the teams that are going to be battling to get that potential play-in game that are going to be more fun. They're going to be playing with a sense of urgency. And we've used the term with those eight seeding games, an all-out sprint. And I think that's what we're going to get from those teams as opposed to what we're going to get from the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers and those teams that are going to be using those eight games to find their legs, find their rotations, kind of get in a rhythm and lead them into the first round of the playoffs, What will be, which will be about two weeks from uh, the start of the season. So we're a week away from seeding games beginning, and we're about a little over two weeks away from the NBA playoffs beginning. But uh, we've got the first round of scrimmage games in the books. Uh, we got another round tonight. So along with baseball, man, sports are back. It felt like we were never going to get through it. I'm cautiously optimistic that we actually might make it through this thing. Uh, and I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Go check out the Deuce and Mo podcast as they post four times a week. So we've got your local Radio shows covered here with the podcast with Damien Barling and the Deuce and Mo podcast available here on the Be Heard podcast platform. We'll see you tomorrow.